Hello, hello, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 74 of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vince Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. I am coming to you for the first time from our new home, which is exciting. I'm also a little worried about the sound because the ceilings are higher in this place. So I'm trying out a space for today. We're going to see how it sounds and maybe adjust for next time. But this seemed to me to be the best place to start. So we'll find out about that soon. Homeowner for the first time, very exciting, but also Everybody, please, please remind me not to do this again during the playoffs because this has been quite a whirlwind of activity between trying to move and cover the playoffs and not really having a day off all month and onward and onward. It wasn't really planned like this. The The idea was that we'd look for a place and, you know, when you find the right place, you got you to gotta jump on it and try to go for it. And many of you who have probably experienced this recently know the market is crazy right now, but we're very happy with where we landed And we closed on it at the end of April, and there was only so long I was going to be able to convince the missus to let the place sit vacant while the playoffs go on, and eventually, finally, hunkered down on Monday in particular, took first day off, like I said, in over a month, moved a lot of stuff, not fully set yet by any stretch of the imagination, but we have our new refrigerator, we have an internet connection, and we have beds, which... That pretty much strikes me as the essential stuff. So good enough to sleep here. Slept here for the first time last night. And here we go off and running. Meanwhile, you guys probably don't care at all about that. (laughs) What you care about is the fact that the Rangers are still alive and going strong following back-to-back wins at Madison Square Garden. Really quick, just so you guys know, I'm riding solo today because I'm prepping for what's a really, really busy day. I have media availability at the training center in a little over an hour, so I'm going to have to wrap up the recording this first segment, and then I'll record the second segment when I get back because I always like to go and find out if anything changes or what we hear from the players or Gallant, and I might want to update you guys with that stuff. So we're going to record this in pieces, doing the first segment now before that media availability. And then I'll be packing and getting ready to go to the airport again because we're going back to Raleigh for game five. And we're going back to Raleigh with the series tied at 2-2, which is not really surprising when you think about the way that these playoffs have gone for the Rangers and the ups and downs and the way that they always seem to respond to any little hint of adversity. But I think my biggest thing right now coming out of that Game 4 performance on Tuesday night, is that to me, that was their most complete performance of this postseason. They started the game strong. I thought the first period was probably the best period they've had in this whole series. They came out of that with a 2-0 lead. We know the big tone-setting moment, the big momentum shifter play in that first period was the hit from Jacob Truba on Max Domi. And listen, I've watched the replay a few times. I know Truba, particularly with the Pittsburgh crowd, is a little bit of a touchy subject. But to me, this guy plays the game the right way. And and he plays not fast. I shouldn't say fast because we know he's not the strongest skater out there. But hard, physical, and I love the big hits. I mean, as long as it's not blatantly leaving your feet or aiming for the head or really blatantly throwing an elbow up toward the head. The, the hit there, it almost seemed like Domi started bracing for it ahead of time and, and leaning backwards, and then Truba just trucked him, absolutely trucked him, lit up the garden. That was a huge play to get the crowd into the game. 
But then what was even bigger than that was the penalty that ensued. And now listen, I want to touch on this briefly before we go into the power play, which was really good on Tuesday night. It's kind of funny that Truba ends up being the guy who has that big play, and it's Domi who's involved in the play because, as everyone knows, at the end of Game 3, it was Domi who got into a fight after the game had ended with Ryan Lindgren, and that really fired up the Rangers. Gerard Gallant was as animated as we've seen him on the bench, yelling at the Carolina bench, yelling at Tony D'Angelo, it seemed in particular, who's been right in the middle of a lot of these shenanigans. And the Rangers were pissed after the game. Gallant usually takes the high road once we get him into a presser setting, especially when it comes to referee stuff or any after-the-whistle stuff, any kind of you know physicality. But he called it BS. He, he, he used stronger terms than that. He, he was really upset with the way that Carolina went after them at the end of the game when the outcome had been decided because the Rangers attacked on that extra goal at the end of Game 3. So there were definitely some hard feelings going there. And then you heard Ryan Reeves the next day at practice, come out and say, well, I'm going to choose my words carefully, but there might be a few guys who will have a little extra nastiness on the ice when it comes an opportunity to check them or hit them or whatever. So Truba was asked about that prior to game four and kind of brushed it aside and was like, oh, you know, the media makes a big deal out of this. It's really not a big concern of ours. Now, maybe that's true, but based on the reactions that we saw from the Rangers, at the end of game three. And then the fact that it happens to be Domi. I mean, maybe it's coincidental, but Domi is the guy who takes the hit. It feels like a full circle moment. It feels like almost a symbolic kind of moment for the Rangers. And Truba, as I said, absolutely lit him up. And that fired up not only the Rangers, but the entire garden. And I'm sure many of you watching at home. So it kind of worked out really well for the Rangers, whether it was a coincidence or not. And then what was even bigger for the Rangers is that Steven Lorenz comes over to Truba immediately after the play, drops the gloves immediately, and and fights him. And not only gets a fighting penalty, but an instigator penalty, which gave the Rangers a power play. So on one hand, you can look at what Lorenz did and say, well, he's protecting his teammate. And I'm sure a lot of you, if the shoe were on the other foot, and one of the Rangers players got lit up like that, you'd want to see their teammates stand up for them as well. But on the other hand, a really dumb penalty because it puts the Canes on the PK, and we know how good their PK is, but prior to that, the Rangers had had a power play earlier in the game, which to me was maybe the best their power play has looked throughout these playoffs, definitely the best their power play has looked in this series. Absolutely buzzing, moving the puck really quickly. Seemed like everybody touched it. Seemed like everybody on the on the first power play unit had some kind of a shot opportunity. I believe the Rangers put four shots on goal on that first power play and were moving the puck incredibly well. And it just felt like you were almost surprised that they came out of it. You were surprised that they came out of it without a goal. And so for the Canes to then turn around when the Rangers had looked so good on the power play and then give them another chance at it, a matter of minutes later, that was huge. That, as Andrew Kopp and a few other people pointed out after the game, was even more important for the Rangers than the hit itself. And so the Rangers cash in on that power play. And mind you, not power play one, it was actually power play two. And and Kopp made a really, really nice pass, a perfect pass to set up Vetrano for the shot. Vetrano did not miss that one. He put it in a perfect spot. And the Rangers take the one nothing lead. And then they're off to the races after that. Ryan Lindgren, Another really active game for him. 
he has a long wrist shot from the top of the left circle that Adam Fox gets his stick on, tips, makes it 2 nothing. The Rangers come out of the first period with that 2 nothing lead. And then Lindgren is right in the middle of another play that leads to the third goal for the Rangers where he gets a shot from the slot. Antti Ranta, the Carolina goalie, made the initial save, but immediately from my vantage point, you could see that the puck was loose. It was sitting underneath him. And then Mika Zibanejad swoops in to finish off that goal and give the Rangers a 3-0 lead. And to me, that goal might have been the most important goal of the game because a 2-0 lead, especially in the playoffs, especially with how good we know Carolina can be, it feels very precarious. It feels not very safe. And so for the Rangers to tack on and get the third as opposed to sitting back and protecting that 2-0 lead, I thought was huge for them. And again, Lindgren right in the middle of the second and the third goal. He came out and spoke to us last night after the game for the first time since this whole injury stuff has been going on with him, which we know started really in the regular season finale against Washington. Said he was feeling good, which I think, as I tweeted, he would say no matter what. But you could you could see it in the way that he played in that game where he was more aggressive on the rush, seemed to be skating better. I think he's been... Pretty solid for the Rangers since he came back. Definitely gutting his way through that injury, I think, has given the team a huge lift, both emotionally and just creating sort of a steady presence in that top four and giving them the the defensive pairs that they really worked with all year. But Lindgren pushing up in the rush, creating some opportunities for himself to get some points, I thought was another good sign that he is, in fact, feeling better. Although, as we know, as Gerard Gallant has pointed out, he will be dealing with this injury for the entirety of the playoffs. But he was bruised and battered. You could see some some black and blue and lumps on his face and stuff like that, but that's pretty typical for him, and it's definitely good to see him feeling better and contributing in that way. And then the Rangers also got really important contributions from a lot of the guys that they acquired at the trade deadline. Mentioned Cop and Vitrano hooking up on that first goal. Cop also sealed the game with the final goal to make it 4-1, to one. At the end, he ended up with three points, which led all Rangers in the game. And Vetrano ends up with two points. And, and those two guys in particular, I felt like after starting the playoffs pretty well, especially Cop, I think he scored in each of the first three games against the Penguins, they had kind of gone into a little bit of a lull and weren't really producing much offensively. We saw to start game three, Gerard Gallant actually dropped both of them out of the top six for the first time in the playoffs, at least to start the game. And, and they were playing on the third line with Capo Caco. So it felt like they needed to pick it up a little bit. And it was a very good sign for the Rangers to see both Cop and Vetrano get back into the swing of things in game four because they need that secondary scoring. We've talked about the top guys, Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider so much. And those guys are obviously the focus for good reason, but it's a huge, huge help from the Rangers when they're getting contributions from guys like Cop and Vetrano. Aside from the kid line, who we've also talked about quite a bit, maybe Cop and Vetrano get a little bit lost in there. But having those guys contribute in that way was huge for the Rangers in Game 4. And then the last guy, of course, last but certainly not least, number one on the list, if you're making a list of who has been the most important player for the Rangers in these last two wins, is Igor Shesterkin, who had another big night. I thought he was awesome in Game 3 with 43 saves. I thought he was very, very good again in Game 4. He's now stopped in these four games in this series, 117 
out of 122 shots. That's a 9.59 save percentage. And this is what we've been talking about all along. Could turn the Rangers from a second round type of team to a team that goes on a deep run. Their goaltending. That is going to be what separates them from a team like Carolina or Tampa or, or whoever they end up seeing if they do move on from this series. We know it would be Tampa in the next round after Tampa swept Florida, which is kind of a surprise. I, I thought Tampa was going to win that series, but I don't know about you guys. I did not see a sweep coming. But we'll talk about Tampa at a later date if it comes to that. The, the point being, for the Rangers to separate themselves, especially now that we know they don't have home ice against Carolina— and Carolina has been so good at home, which we have to talk about, Igor has to be the X factor. And he has done that. He had his ups and downs in that first series against Pittsburgh, but now you feel like he not only has his rhythm, but he has his confidence. He has his playoff legs under him. I feel like, I don't know, I don't know if it was definitely jitters that, that hurt him at times, especially in those games in Pittsburgh, but now maybe that awe that you have as a young guy who's playing in the playoffs for the first time Now maybe that's worn off a little bit, and he feels a little more comfortable, and he definitely looks a lot more comfortable. He was really good in Carolina and even better in the last two games in New York, and that is huge for the Rangers. They're going to need him to step up and help them steal a game in Carolina if they're going to win in these series because, as we know, now it's the best two out of three you got to win two of the next three if you want to advance, and two of those games are going to be in Carolina. So for the only way for the Rangers to advance is to get at least one in Carolina. You would hope, if you're a Rangers fan, that game six back in the Garden, they'll have a really good opportunity to win that game. But the Canes are 6-0 and in these playoffs on home ice. Their previous series with Boston, the home team won every game. They went seven games, but Carolina won all four on their home ice. And we know they won the first two on home ice against the Rangers in this series. So the Rangers need to win one there for this to feel real. If they can't pull it off, they're going to be playing golf by the time that we talk next week. But they need to find a way to win in Carolina. For now, all they did was hold serve at home, which is huge because they were down 2-0 and they needed to win both of those games. They did it. They accomplished that feat. But now they got to go to Carolina and find a way to steal one. And if you're going down the list of of how can the Rangers pull this off, how can they come home with a win in Game 5, Igor playing the way that he did in these first four games is the number one thing in my mind for the Rangers to pull this off. Because we've seen what happens with this Carolina team. They come in waves, but Igor gives you the confidence to weather those storms. If you look at the scoring chances, whether it's natural stat trick or clear sight analytics or evolving hockey, Carolina is ahead as far as generating the most chances to score. But when you have the better goalie and you have a guy who consistently is going to be able to make key stops, just look at game four, very first shot of the game. And I had a perfect vantage point for this from the press box. Brett Pesci, backdoor, wide open. And it looked like the net was wide open. Igor was all the way on the other side of the net, which is where the puck was. Pesci gets a great pass. He is looking at a wide open net. Now, to be fair, he didn't get the shot off as quickly as I'm sure he would have liked to. There was a little bit of a fumble or hesitation. He didn't catch it perfectly clean, and he wasn't able to one-time it. He had to stop the puck 
regain himself, and then take the shot. And that split second was just enough time for Igor to fly back across the crease, get his glove on it, and make what turned out to be the biggest save of the game. A lot of people were talking about it after the game. Even though Igor had that split second to to adjust, I don't know how many goalies are getting across that quickly to make that stop. So huge for the Rangers. That would have changed the whole complexion of the game had Carolina taken a 1-0 lead. I think it was Andrew Kopp who pointed out after the game that the, the team who scores first in this series has been the team who wins. So that would have completely altered, I believe, how game four went. But Igor comes up big in that moment. I can also think of a, a, a play on Tara Vinen early in the second period where Tara Vinen is wide open on the door front and Igor is able to scurry back across the crease and just get his right pad on the save uh, to stop Tara Vinen. And, and there was a handful of, of situations like that. Those are probably the two biggest saves that come to mind. But you know Carolina is going to get these kind of chances. You see the speed that they play with, and, and you see these moments where it just feels like all of a sudden they start building, and they start coming, and they start sustaining a lot of offensive zone time. But Igor being able to shut that down most of the time has been the, the biggest saving grace for the Rangers, and I believe the biggest reason that this series is even right now. With all that being said, I do feel like, as I mentioned at the top, the game four was the most complete effort the Rangers have had. And I do feel like this aura of the Canes being this matchup nightmare for the Rangers has worn off a little bit. All four games were close, even though they lost both in Carolina. The Rangers really held them down, limited their shot opportunities, limited their scoring chances. They didn't produce enough offense. They only had one goal in those two games in Carolina. That was the main reason that they lost those games. But they played solid. They were right in it all the way to the end. Game one, they had the lead all the way until the end. So I do feel like the way the series is turning, especially now that they won game four convincingly, it just feels like the way that we were looking at Carolina from the bubble and from the regular season when they had largely dominated the Rangers, that's not how this series has gone. They have not dominated the Rangers in any game to this point. So maybe that changes in game five. We we know they're going to be the favorite in that game because they have home ice and they haven't lost there. But the Rangers have definitely, I feel like, it just feels like they're playing like a little lighter, a little less of a load on their shoulders, a little less intimidation against this team that has had their number for the last few years. Now it feels like they're like, hey, we can we can beat these guys. We know that we can do it. We've shown four straight games that we're not going to get run out of any arena against this team. And that's a good position to be in. You, you're the underdog, but you're playing loose. And you have the best goalie on the ice, maybe in the world, although Andre Vasilevsky from Tampa might be uh, staking his own claim to that with the way that he's played in these playoffs. But you definitely have the best goalie in this series. And now your team is starting to play better as a whole. So I'm certainly not counting the Rangers out. I was more pessimistic about their chances, honestly, to begin the series than I am today because I thought there were going to be some games where the Rangers just got run out where the Rangers just got overwhelmed by the speed and the forecheck of this Carolina team. But that has not happened at all through four games. And if the Rangers can find a way to put up three or four goals in a game, the way that they did in game four, you got to feel great about their chances of winning. Again, it all keeps coming back to Igor. But I believe the team effort has been good enough to say, 
we're right there with this team. And that is really, really big for them, I believe, from a confidence standpoint. All right. I got to run because I got to be at the training center shortly to catch this media availability before we all head to Carolina. So I'm going to run, do that, get some writing done, and then I'm going to come back and finish the podcast later, let you guys know what we talked about with Glant and the players today. And of course, as always, answer some of your questions. And we are back from today's conversation with Gerard Gallant. Also spoke to Tyler Mott and Mika Zabanajad. Not too much as far as newsy kind of stuff coming out of that for you guys. I, I would say the biggest thing is that at the end, and it's, I know the video was tweeted out by SNY and it seemed to get some traction on Twitter, which is kind of funny, but At the end of the press conference, as Gallant was walking out, I just wanted to ask about Barclay Gaudreau because we haven't checked on him for a while. I I told you guys last week that I've seen him for a while on crutches with a walking boot. I saw him a few days ago in Raleigh, still with the walking boot, no more crutches, which is a slight sign of improvement. But I figured, let me just ask and, and see if anything's going on, because you figured as soon as that walking boot came off, he was gonna wanna skate and test it out. Now, if it's a broken left ankle, as I believe it is, and again, I've had that, I've heard that from multiple sources and, and haven't had anyone dispute it. So I'm fairly confident in reporting that. If it's a broken ankle, at this point, it's a matter of just letting it heal enough to where the, the pain is tolerable. And so I'm sure that it was important for him to get on the ice and see how it felt. And Gallant told me on the way out the door today that yes, he has resumed skating. So we're a little past three weeks of when that initial injury occurred. I had asked around a little bit and, you know, it's all inexact because every player is different in how they heal. And obviously the Rangers aren't letting a lot of information out or any information out, quite frankly, as far as what the injury is or what the healing process will be. But I've heard from a few different experts and medical type people that the fastest they could see somebody coming back from something like that, if it was a pretty minor fracture, would be three to four weeks. And we're just past three weeks from the initial injury, so I'm sure the Rangers are hopeful that he will be on the quicker end of that timetable. I highly, highly doubt we're going to see him in Game 5. Is it possible by the end of the series? I suppose anything is possible. I, I still think that next series is probably more likely, but I wouldn't sit here and rule it out. Certainly not. We, we've seen much crazier things happen. So that was really the biggest thing. I wrote about a few other topics, Ryan Lindgren, Tyler Mott on that third line where he played with Phil Heedle and Alexi Lafreniere for game four. So you can go check out that story on loha.com slash sports slash Rangers. Also working on another story, a pregame story, for Thursday, that's going to look into the the big topic, which is Carolina having not lost a game at home, which we talked about in the beginning portion of the show. But yeah, we're going to dive into power play matchups while they're in Carolina, and the Canes have the benefit of last change, how that could change things for the Rangers. Maybe we'll get into some of the stuff with the Twitter questions, but I do want to dive into that stuff. So let's do it. And we're going to start with one from Superior Returns, who wrote, What did you think about the lines last night? I was pissed at first. You you weren't the only one. I saw a lot of that on Twitter. That Kaka was on the fourth line. But I actually think it really worked well. 
plus Gerard Gallant put the normal lines back together while they were dominating. Thoughts? Well, I agree with you that I did think it was peculiar to move Kako down to the fourth line. Now, between the three guys on the kid line, Kako, Hedl, and Lafreniere, I think that Lafreniere and Hedl, to me, have been better in the playoffs. Kako has had his moments, but I don't think he's been as consistently good as the other two. So if any one of them was going to get demoted, I would have probably guessed Kako, but I, I did not see that coming. I thought, and I think a lot of people thought this, that what Gallant was going to do when he hinted at a tweak when I asked him pregame if there were going to be any lineup changes was that one of the kids was going to move up. I thought that maybe Lafreniere would play with Mika and Kreider or that Kako would play with Panarin and Strom or maybe even he would stick with Phil Hedl at right wing next to Mika and Kreider because he tried that in game three and I think we all thought that that was the Rangers best line in that game. The numbers bear it out and the eye test definitely bore it out. So I was kind of expecting one of those guys to move up. I was thinking maybe Andrew Kopp would go down to the third line to give them a guy who could help out a little bit on faceoffs down there because as good as Hedl has been, he's under 40% on faceoffs in these playoffs. Ryan Strom also going into game four, though, was under 40%. So Strom and Hedl have both really struggled on faceoffs. Kopp has been one of the better guys for the Rangers. Mika finished strong against Pittsburgh and has now struggled against Carolina. That's mainly because he's been up against Jordan Stahl a lot, and Stahl is one of the best in the league on the faceoff dot. Carolina overall is really good, and that has been a, a glaring weakness for the Rangers in this series. So Gallant has talked about that a little bit and wanting to strategically put Kopp in a, in a spot where he can help out either Strom or Hedl. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but bottom line is, yes, I was a little surprised about the lines. I had written a story over the weekend when the Rangers were coming back from Carolina down 0-2, where I threw out what I thought were five possibilities that, that had some logic behind them that would make some sense for the Rangers to do to change things up. Because we can talk about how good they were defensively in those first two games in Carolina, and they did do a really good job of limiting Carolina's chances. But they clearly weren't producing enough offensively, only had the one goal in those two games so my feeling was they got to shake it up a little bit and try something different. Obviously, Gerard Gallant thought the same thing, except what's funny is not that he you know needs to listen to me, but he joked with us prior to the game on game three that he had read some stories that had some line suggestions in them and he thought that they were pretty good. I ended up talking with some of the writers afterwards. Larry Brooks and I were talking. We both had written stories about changing the lines. And what's funny was, Gallant joked about reading the stories, but then didn't do what either one of us suggested, which was kind of funny. So we were almost joking, like maybe he's reading what we're writing and like not wanting to give us any credit and sticking it to us by saying, I'm going to try something different. I'm sure that's not why he's making those decisions, but it was kind of a funny, funny way to joke about it. What, what I did write about was that I thought it might have made sense to move Mott up. And I wrote about maybe putting him with Panarin and Strom because of the different things that he does that, that, are unique compared to some of the skill guys in the lineup. I think he brings that Jesper Fast kind of game where he's got a lot of speed, really good skater, 
very aggressive on the four check and really good defensively, very trusted defensively by Gallant. So I wasn't shocked that he wanted to move Mott up. I just didn't see it being at the expense of putting a guy like Kako down on the fourth line. So, and I understand, of course, why that gets such a visceral reaction from Rangers fans. Anytime one of the young guys gets moved down, it always seems to elicit a much bigger reaction than, let's say, if it was maybe Frank Vetrano or someone like that. And we get why you guys all want to see the young players succeed. And it's frustrating when when you think that they're being demoted. But I didn't see it as as big of a deal as maybe I would in the regular season, to be honest, because at this point, it's the playoffs. And whatever you think you need to do to give yourself the best chance to win a game, development almost gets put a little bit on the back burner here. It's much more important to focus on what is going to work for you that night. And I had questions about whether that was the right move. Now, it was a minor move. It wasn't going to make or break the Rangers in game four. You're talking about just switching one move between the third line and the fourth line, swapping two players. That's not a major, major move. But Gallant explained that the reason he wanted to do that was to get more speed and defense on the third line. And I actually thought that that line did okay. And I can see especially going into Carolina, where the Canes are going to have the benefit of last change. What do we know that means? Well, that means that they are going to put the Jordan Stahl line out there against Mika's line as often as they can, which which thereby moves the other lines kind of up a peg. And we saw the kid line see a lot of the Hurricanes' top two lines in games one and game two, whether that's the Ajo line or the Trocheck line. And so I think that Gallant is looking at it and, and liking the idea of having a line that you really trust defensively and as a forechecking line against one of those top two lines from Carolina. So I do expect Tyler Mott to remain in that spot with Lafreniere and Heedle for game five at least because I think the matchups will kind of dictate that, that they'll do a better job of potentially shutting down one of those top two lines for Carolina. So I, I think it worked out fine. Obviously, I, I've said that I think that game four was the Rangers' most complete performance. And I, I certainly don't think that it's worth sitting here and getting angry about Kako being on the fourth line. It looks odd on paper. I'll give you that. But it certainly didn't hurt the Rangers, and I don't think it's the kind of move that, that I would feel right sitting here and ripping because that would be disingenuous. I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I did question even more so, I think, whether keeping the top six with Vetrano on the top line and Cop on the second was the right way to go because those lines had largely struggled previously in this series, but those lines picked it up in game four, and now you got to see where they go from here. So can't really offer too much criticism as far as what Gallant has done with the lines, especially as far as game four is concerned, it worked. All right. Extend Judge 99 wrote, when Gaudreau comes back, whose spot does he take? It's one of two guys to me. It's either going to be Ryan Reeves or Kevin Rooney. And had you asked me earlier in the playoffs, I probably would have guessed Reeves. But right now, I do feel like it's a little bit more of a toss-up. I think Reeves, I don't think he's been great by any stretch. I think he's exposed as far as his skating is concerned in a lot of different situations. But I do think that 
We've seen him have an impact with both his physicality and, yes, now that this series with the Canes has gotten chippier and we saw the Max Domi stuff with Ryan Lindgren at the end of Game 3 and we saw the joying with Tony D'Angelo and we've seen things kind of increase as far as that tension is concerned, I do believe that Gallant really, really values having Reeves there. Gallant referenced him after Game 3 saying, we've got the guy that can handle anyone on their team. And you know he was talking about Reeves. So I think he really likes having the threat. Not necessarily throwing Reeves out there to fight, because I think the Rangers are being very cautious and really good about not taking dumb penalties so far in this series. You don't want to put yourself behind the eight ball by giving Carolina a power play and then losing a lead or falling behind or whatever it might be. So I think that they're being cautious with that. But... The threat is there, and and you could see it. We talked in the first portion of the show about that intimidation factor kind of dissipating and it not seeming like the Rangers are, I don't want to say in awe, but it feels like they're more evenly matched with the Canes than what we anticipated. It feels like some of that aura has worn off. Mika Zibanejad talked about this a little bit today when we spoke to him. He said, I think we deferred to them too much in the regular season. We gave them too much credit, and now we're more worried about taking it to them. And I think that Reeves is part of that. You guys probably saw during Game 4, Ryan Reeves and Tony D'Angelo are face-to-face jawing at each other, and Tony's all fired up. And what is Reeves doing? He's laughing in his face. And, you know, it's a subtle thing. It's like a fun thing to have a good time with on social media and that sort of thing. But I do think that there is this level of confidence that the Rangers have from having Reeves in the lineup. As much as he can be a liability when you're chasing down a a puck in open ice or with his speed, his lack of offense, all that stuff that we know is, is are not real big parts of his game. I do think that the team, as Adam Fox told us during the regular season, they puff their chest out a little bit more knowing that Reeves is in the lineup. So how much does a glant value that versus the fact that Rooney is a guy who kills penalties and takes faceoffs and brings a little more as far as his overall game is concerned than Reeves? If you're just talking from a strictly playing hockey standpoint, then I think you keep Rooney in there and scratch Reeves. But when you factor in the other stuff, and I do believe that Glant factors that in, we know that Reeves is his guy, they have a history together. Maybe that gives Reeves an edge. So I don't know. That'll be an interesting decision, but I think it's one of those two, either Reeves or Rooney, who comes out whenever Gaudreau is ready or Sammy Blay is ready. Let's not forget about Sammy Blay. Now, I've heard it's it sounds highly unlikely that Blay would return for this series. He's been skating with the team every day for almost a week now, which is a great sign, but this isn't like Gaudreau who just has to figure out how the ankle feels and how much pain he can deal with. This is a guy coming back from major surgery, and the Rangers need to make sure he's right. And the timetable is already advanced. It's only been six months since he had that surgery. Most athletes do not get back to competing that quickly. So, Blay, I think you really need to proceed with caution. Of course, if the Rangers were to advance, it's something we would bring up before the next series, and I'd be curious to see if the Rangers would push for him. But Gallant did tell us, I'm not ruling him out which is interesting. So maybe that's strategic. Maybe he just you know wants the other team thinking that it's a possibility. I don't know. But Goudreau and Blay are both, according to Glant at least, in play 
at some point in these playoffs. And if both of those guys come back, then maybe the Rangers end up taking both Rooney and Reeves out. We'll see how it plays out. Although, you know, more injuries could creep up. This is always fluid and and things could change at any moment. But it'll be an interesting conversation to have once either Goudreau or Blay is ready to return. All right. Let's keep going here. Trent wrote, it felt like the Rangers opened up a bit more to generate offense at home versus Carolina. Which approach do you think they'll take back on the road? So that's a good question, Trent. And that's actually a question that came up quite a few times today in our conversations at the training center. The, the thing is, the Rangers keep going back to it's not that they weren't trying to open it up necessarily when they were in Carolina. It's that the Hurricanes kind of dictate that. And, and because of their smothering forecheck, they make it hard for you to generate offense. I do believe there is something to that. But I also do believe that the Rangers need to find this balance. It's been a constant give and take with this team of playing north-south, playing sound defensively, back-checking hard, forechecking hard, doing all those things that we know Gallant wants them to do and also incorporating the skill and the risk and the, as Artemi Panarin would say, stupid shit from the blue line that makes this team special and opens things up and and enables them to create offense. Because when Panarin can do stuff like that, when Zabanajad can do stuff like that, when some of the kids can do stuff like that, that's when the Rangers are at their most dangerous. So you certainly need to manage the puck well and avoid turnovers that especially a speedy team like Carolina can turn into odd man rushes going the other way. So I do think that tightening up your game to an extent is important, but you need to pick your spots. You can't just play a dump and chase game all the time. That is not that is not the Rangers strength. And and we see and I thought they did this too much in Carolina where They're playing defense for a while. They regain possession of the puck. And what do they do? They dump it and they go for a line change. And you dump it and you give it right back to Carolina. And then they're coming at you again. So I think the Rangers, and Zabanajad talked about this a little bit today, they need to, I mean, listen, there's going to be times when you need to dump it to get a line change. But they also need to pick their spots and understand when there's a play to be made, when there's a pass that you can connect on, when there's a chance to create a rush opportunity. So... It's going to be this delicate balance of can they pick the right spots to do that without losing their defensive structure? And when they do go for those playmaking kind of things that we see from Panarin, can they make sure that they avoid the crucial mistake that all of a sudden results in a goal going the other way? Because that that certainly can be one of the cons of playing that style. You know, the silver lining is you got Igor back there. So maybe you can afford to take a little more risk because, you know, you have a goalie who a lot of the times will be able to bail you out. But you you can't. It's unfair to ask him to do that repeatedly. So it's really a balance. And I think that that's what the players seem to be trying to express in our conversations with them in the last few days. And Galant has said, you know, listen, I want us to play that defensive game like we did in those games in Carolina. But I also don't want to take away from my players strengths. Now, he says that to us. Who knows what's being said behind closed doors? It definitely sounds like Artemi Panarin, he was joking with us that Turk has been nervous lately. Now, obviously, that was a joke, but there could be a little truth to that as well, that Gallant has stressed to them, let's not have these 
silly giveaways. We don't, we don't want to ignite their rush opportunities like that. I'm sure that conversation has been had as well. So it really is a give and take. You can't go entirely one way or entirely the other. The Rangers need to find their lane right in the middle. And we've seen when they can do that, they're a really good team. All right. I think we have time for maybe one or two more. Let's see here. Eddie Nathan wants to know what's going on with Panarin. I've always been skeptical of the Strome Panarin combo for playoff hockey. Always thought he'd need two players with size and speed to create space for him. Is that an issue or is he playing hurt or unable to adjust his game or lost confidence? A lot of, a lot of possibilities there, Eddie. Listen, I, whether he's playing hurt, we're not going to be able to confirm that. We know that he missed the last two games of the regular season with an injury I don't know how severe it was. They are not saying that he's hurt. And so we have to ride with the assumption that he's on the ice, he's good enough to play, and therefore we'll judge his game appropriately. You guys know I've talked about this before. I do not think that he has been good enough in these playoffs for them. I, I do think that in these last two home games, I saw a few more spurts of, of him having the puck on his stick and trying to make something happen. And again, he's he's the number one guy when we talk about this give and take of not taking risks versus taking risks and opening things up. He needs to find that balance more than anybody. It's it's crucial for him to be the player that we know that he can be. I, you don't want him to feel like every time you get to the playoffs, all of a sudden you have to change the way that you play. I think he needs to keep playing the way that he plays with maybe a hint more of puck management and maybe occasionally not going for some, you know, crazy backwards cross-ice pass through traffic. Like, you know, there's got to be spots where you reel it in a little bit. But for him to fully be himself, he needs to have some of that pizzazz in his game because that's what makes him so good. So we've talked about this before. I don't want to beat this topic to death. But yeah, Panarin to me is one of the guys that definitely, I think, still could step up. I think you've seen little signs of it in the last couple games. And you hope that that increases in these last few games of the series for the Rangers. Strom, I think, has also had a quiet series. I, I do think that when we talk about Strom versus Cop for who the Rangers might resign, knowing they can probably only resign one of them, Cop, especially with a 3.9 in game four, has been the better playoff performer to this point. I think Strom, when we talk about the faceoffs, the point production hasn't been great. He definitely seems to not be the most noticeable guy in the ice for a lot of these shifts. That that line, to me, needed a shakeup. That's why I was anticipating and thinking that they would try to do something different with them. But Gallant is pretty loyal to his combos, and I think he's sticking with Panarin and Strom for the foreseeable future from as far as I can tell. Okay, maybe one more here. Jerry wants to know what will mock cost next year and can the Rangers make it work? They can only make it work if it's close to his salary right now. I think I think he's at a million and a half. I don't have it in front of me, but I think he's like at one point something. And maybe the Rangers could squeeze it in at a number like that, depending on whatever little moves they can make to shave salary. Like let's say they could trade a Patrick Nemeth or something like that to shave just a little bit of salary and give themselves a little more wiggle room. But I think that they would really like to keep Tyler Mott. I think there's a much better chance of Mott coming back than, let's say, Frank Vetrano. Both guys are wingers, but Vetrano is going to be significantly more expensive. 
And I think you're also really going to need to carve out space in the top six to assume that Lafreniere and Kako are ready to rise. You're quite frankly going to need those guys to do it to be cheap alternatives. So I would give Mott a much better chance of coming back than Vetrano. I still don't know if it's all that likely because even a matter of a half million dollars or so might be pretty significant for the Rangers given their cap situation. But I do believe that they would have interest in bringing back Mott if the price is right. That price will have to be pretty low, though. All right, Drew Way here says, seeing as I'm a draft nerd and working on my new rankings, I figure I'll try to plant this seed for now or later. Any insight into who the Rangers have been scouting? Drew, let me let me stop you right here. The Rangers, I have not heard or even talked to anybody about any scouting. You Remember, if they win two games to advance in this series to the Eastern Conference Final, they're not going to have a first-round pick. They would be sending that to Winnipeg as part of the cop deal. That pick is contingent on whether or not they make the Eastern Conference Final. So they're hoping they don't even have a first-round pick. So I can tell you right now, I don't think they're putting a whole lot of energy into scouting at this point. That's something we'll turn the page to once the season's over and we know where they're picking, whether they even have a first-round pick or not. But uh, their priority is definitely, definitely making this team the best that it can be right now. And the draft is a back burner thing. It was it was on the forefront for a while, but now it's a back burner thing. And you saw that at the trade deadline when they were throwing out draft picks like they were candy. <laughs> they, they didn't really have too much of a problem parting with some of those draft picks to try to make this team more equipped for a run at the cup this year. All right. I'm scrolling through just trying to see, make sure that there's nothing else that I'm missing. There's a lot of Blay and Gaudreau stuff, line stuff, matchup stuff. We talked about the matchups. The matchups I'm really interested to see in Carolina. We, Mika said today, you know what it's going to be. Stahl's line is coming for them, which is going to mean Panarin's line and the, the kid line plus Mott are going to see a lot of the top two lines for Carolina. And that works to Carolina's benefit. It really fascinates me how Carolina has built their team from the standpoint that a lot of teams just want to make their lineup balanced. You know, they want defensive guys and they might have a checking line as their fourth line, but, you know, their best players are all going to be in the top six. Carolina, the way that they're built, in some ways they're built around their third line. They take what I think a lot of people would argue are their three best defensive forwards in Niederreiter, Jesper Faust, and Jordan Stahl. Faust, by the way, I can tell you guys, I can't reveal the order, but I gave him a Selkie vote. I, I do, I think, oh, I mentioned that with the interview with Sarah, so you guys know that. But Faust, I believe, is one of the better defensive forwards in the league. Same goes for Stahl, same goes for Niederreiter. They group those three together, and they, they are almost always charged with defending the other team's top line. Most of the time, you go strength against strength. Look at how Gallant played it against the, the Penguins at Sidney Crosby line. Who did he want out there against Crosby? He wanted the Zibanejad line. Now, he had told us if Gaudreau was healthy and if Mott was healthy, that might have changed. I think he might have built a Gaudreau-Mott-Rooney line that he would have tried to throw out there against Crosby sometimes and sort of do what Brindamore does with his line of Stahl, Faust, and Niederreiter. But it's just interesting to me how Carolina basically dictates, okay, we're going to get this line out there against your best line. We're going to make sure that your best line does nothing offensively. And then 
our top players, Aho and Svechnikov and Trocek and and Taravainen and those kind of guys, they'll do damage against your second and third line. So it's, it's an interesting way to play it. And it really, I think, is maybe the biggest reason that Carolina has such a big home ice advantage. We could talk about the crowd noise, and the crowd noise is pretty good there, but I think the matchups are more important for me. All right, that's going to do it. I have a lot of questions. I appreciate you guys all submitting these. Sorry if I didn't get to you. Definitely keep trying next week because I'll, I'll be answering them again next week. I can promise you that. We'll find out if we're still talking about hockey at this time next week. Are we doing an Eastern Conference final? Am I going to Tampa? Am I getting my tan on? Or am I doing more moving and just relaxing and spending time with the family? That is to be determined. Uh, But for now, we've got some exciting hockey to play. We've got Game 5 on Thursday night. I will be in Carolina for that. We definitely have Game 6 on Saturday back at the Garden. We'll find out if we have a Game 7 on Memorial Day. Exciting, exciting times. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I appreciate all of you. I thank you all for listening and submitting your questions and being so engaged. You guys are making this time of year a lot of fun for me, and I hope it's a lot of fun for you. I I, I figure with the winning that the Rangers are doing lately, it's probably a lot more fun for you. But with that, I'm going to go. Hope you all have a great rest of the week, and I will talk to you next week.